Welcome to the Kesset Church Podcast. We are so glad you've joined us and hope you enjoyed today's sermon. If you'd like to find out more about Kesset, you can head to kessetchurch.com or find us on Facebook. Good morning. How's everybody? Listen, I'm excited to be here, okay? So I need lots of energy today. It's Father's Day. This is a, this is a, first off, if you're new, welcome. My name's Danny. I'm one of the pastors. Thanks for being here. Uh, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, Father's Day is kind of a mixed bag preach. Uh, it's a little different than Mother's Day. Mother's Day has really one solid approach, and that's honor, primarily. Uh, it's honor, honor, honor. And if you, if you can land on honor, you're going to get 85 or 90% of the folks in the room. Uh, it just seems to be how it is. Father's Day, not so much. Uh, in this room right now are all kinds of people with all kinds of emotions when it comes to this word father. And, and, and rightly so. I, I want to validate that. Uh, some of us, uh, this is, um, this is a, a hard day because we didn't have the dad we hoped we would. It's a hard day because we weren't the dad we hoped we would be. Uh, some of us in this room, we're really good at it. Like, we know it. Like, we're like, I'm, 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 I'm doing well. So I don't know what this Father's Day stuff's about, but I'm... I'm in, and I want it all, right? And so there's those people. And then there's people who had great dads, people who this is your first uh, Father's Day without your dad. He's, he's passed on. People who've never had a dad, people who have way too involved dads. Uh, it, there, it's all kinds. And so what's so beautiful about it is that that makes this particular weekend um, really reliant upon the Holy Spirit and what he has for you in the room because there's no way I can cover all of those topics and all of those emotions. And so I'm going to pray for us, and I'm just going to ask that, that, that you sit in a place uh, where you are, that you really feel where you are, that if you're elated, if you're, if you're anticipating, if you're excited, if you're joyful, if you're glad, if you're grateful, if you're frustrated, if you're angry, if you're hurt, wherever you're at, that's the only place you should approach what we're going to do next, because that's the place the Holy Spirit's going to meet you, a place of authenticity and a place that is transparent and, and real. That's how he operates. That's the world he lives in. If you don't hear from the Holy Spirit a lot, it's probably because you're approaching him from the wrong place. Too religious, uh, with too much blame, not enough questions. These are the kinds of things people wrestle with when they are really struggling to connect with God because they just, they just, they, they don't actually come from where they're feeling. They're angry, but they act all passive and respectful when really you're just angry at God. It would be better for you to be angry with God than lie to him and pretend to be respectful when he knows in your heart you're not. So listening to today's message, my job will be 90% easier if you'll just listen to the Holy Spirit and what he has for you and just block me all the way out. Therefore, I'll be successful. And that's what really matters here today, right? (laughs) So let me pray, and let's just go before the Lord. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you that you are so amazing at at meeting our needs right where we are. We thank you that you, you, uh, you, you love it, that you desire it, that in this room right now are people who have been all kinds of blocked up and, uh, and locked up. And Lord, today you want to free that. There are people in this room that, that have struggles. There are people in this room that, that have done incredibly well and need encouragement. God, this is a day to, uh, to honor what you've built to honor this institution of fatherhood, to honor what it means to be a man and to listen and to learn and to love. And so we thank you. We just lay it all down before you. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. Inside the quickening series, uh, every week is a different symbol, and you may have already noticed that the symbol we're going to speak about glows on the back screen. So this week's symbol is mountain. And the reason that uh, mountain is the symbol is because we're going to talk about what it means for fathers and for men and for people uh, to, uh, to live their lives in their best strength, to, to, to live solid, to live secure, to, be, uh, to have healthy, uh, well-balanced foundations in the Lord, which a lot of us as guys, and I'll go first, probably don't have as much as they wish. There was an article that came out recently, and I pulled this little, uh, this little portion of it, and I want to read it to you. It says this about men when they're struggling with strength and apparent weakness. This is what it said. Men in general struggle to admit something's wrong with them or acknowledge something they perceive as a sign of weakness. This would be the old adage of men not wanting to stop and ask for directions, which I don't know what the problem is because I can't find my way around town anywhere. Uh, I'm not one of those guys. And you notice, by the way, when I said it, like 90% of the guys in the room were silent. It wasn't like, yeah, it was like, oh my gosh. You just, like, some guys are like, North is that way. I'm like, I don't, I have no idea where North is. Let me ask Siri. It's just, I'm, I, I'm not strong in that area. I'm strong in other areas, but men, men don't like to admit that kind of stuff. So we're just going to start off on the right foot by admitting we're all not good at everything. They don't like to admit weakness, the article goes on. And that's because from an early age, men are taught what it means to be a man. Intentionally or not, boys are raised to suppress their emotions. Worse, men who express insecurity over how they look or feel or behave are called weak or sensitive. This causes boys to grow up into men that learn that it's not okay to show weakness of any kind. John Piper said when it comes to uh, this idea that we are supposed to be strong all the times as Christian, that we have warped that into our uh, spiritual life based on what the world perceives as good. The gospel doesn't fit well into the world's uh, slot for what is right and wrong. And so oftentimes the gospel is twixt or uh, twisted or warped into something that doesn't fit. And he said it results in this. The world wants power to escape weakness and leisure. But Christianity offers power to endure weakness and love. I'm going to leave that up there because I had to read it six times before it hit me like it should. The world, and oftentimes the world we're preaching to that we hope buys into the gospel, wants power to escape weakness and leisure. But Christianity offers power to endure weakness and love. How often are we teaching our young men, our boys, how often are we teaching each other that there is great power to endure weakness and love in the person of Jesus. I believe as we talk this Father's Day, this quote really helps put into perspective what we as guys are up against. Uh, Paul is no different. Paul is my favorite, one of my favorite uh, biblical characters because next to Jesus, I don't know if there's anyone who's had more spiritual impact on humanity than, than Paul. And for me, this makes Paul like a spiritual stud, right? Like he's just He's legit. He's varsity. He's professional. Like he, he has so much impact and so much power that he himself boasts about his own abilities. All throughout scripture, he's like, be like me. Who says that? Like he's like, hey, listen, I'm so much like Jesus and I talk to Jesus so much and Jesus gives me so many revelations. What you need to do is focus on what I'm telling you and be like me. I, I grew up listening to the guy and I thought that's amazing. That's the kind of uh, elite Christian I would love to one day be to where I was so confident in who I am that I could boast 
in my relationship in Jesus and people would still feel that I was being humble. It's an amazing place for him to be. And so Paul is a wonderful person to start looking at what it means to look at weakness as strength. 2 Corinthians 12, he's done all this boasting, he's done all this sharing, and he starts off the chapter referring to some of that, and he says, verse 1, I must go on boasting, though there is nothing to be gained by it. I will go on to visions and revelations to the Lord. I should go on boasting, but nah, I'll stop. Instead, I'm just going to go have some visions and revelations. Like, I'm not going to say it, I'm just going to go do it. And then he goes on in verse 6. To wrap up this section, to share something very rich and something very real and relevant for us today. He says this, though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, because I am awesome. <laughs> but I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, that he's been given because of all of the grace and goodness and strength he's been given. He says, uh, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. We don't, no one knows what the thorn is exactly, but something happened in Paul's life that he couldn't handle. Paul, capital P, Paul, was like, listen, God is working in me, and you should ask God to work in your life as well, and you should look at my life as an example of how you want to live. And I am boasting at all the good and amazing things that God is doing in my life because it is because of him, because of him, because of him. Paul never says it's because of him, but he boasts in the fact it still happens. He's not one of those Christians that, like, you have to drag out anything good in their life because they, they're too afraid of coming across prideful. Like, oh, what's going on? You're like, oh, you know, just normal stuff. Didn't you just have a grandchild? Oh, yeah, 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 I did. Is she beautiful? Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're like, because they're so afraid to celebrate, because they don't want other people to think they're prideful. Paul's like, whoa, I'm doing so many things that Satan attacked me personally. He attacked me with a thorn in the flesh. He attacked me with this, that's a great word picture of this thing that I can still function in, but I'm always kind of spiritually limping. And so he confesses openly three times. I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should lead me. Three times he asked God to take it away until eventually he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. So what does Paul say? <laughs> Therefore, I will boast all the more, gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions and calamities for when i am weak then i am strong i just want to point out one quick thing most of us have this bumper sticker verse memorized wrong we say for when i am weak he is strong it, he's never been more or less strong based on your strength or weakness he's always strong when you're weak and you focus on jesus and you boast in jesus and you say like paul did i guess we do need to be like paul that he is the reason and he gets the credit and he gets the glory then suddenly the weakness this thorn that reminds you of weakness this place that 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 causes you to be vulnerable this place then causes you to rely what more on jesus more on your faith more in tune with where he is and who he is and so what happens you and i become stronger 
stronger in our faith, stronger in our journeys, stronger parents, stronger husbands, stronger dads, stronger men, women, single people, uh, high schoolers. We become stronger when we allow the weaknesses in our life to be on the outside of ourselves, not just hidden within the inside. Now, I want to confess something that is, that, is, uh, that is probably common but not often shared about. Uh, I personally do not do weakness well. I, I don't do weakness well, and, and, I, and I'm going to argue that mo- a lot of guys in the room also don't do weakness well. It's one thing to, to talk about weakness and to preach about weakness. It's another thing to step in and actually be authentic with yourself and with the people that, you're, that you do life with that you don't do weakness well. So I want to make sure that happens now because I want to tell you a story about what happens when weakness doesn't happen well in your life and then sort of cracks and rushes upon you. As a person who doesn't do weakness well, uh, I have for a long time um, had a hard time crying. I think that uh, now that I've done enough therapy, it's probably tied all the way back to being a, a young cancer survivor. Uh, when you're a young child and they do procedures on you, normally a, a child cries and someone comes and helps. But when procedures happen uh, and they have to happen for you to live, then crying doesn't matter. So you learn after a while to not cry because the pain's not going to go away. The, the stuff's not going to stop. And so you just learn that crying does no, has no effect. And so there was probably a portion of my life where I didn't cry not one time for maybe 15 years. And that was from about... 18 or so till about 15 years later. Um, I, I had a couple different things happen then that I started to get better at crying. And that is something you have to get good at if you're not good at it. Some of you, you're like, what do you, get better? I could cry right now, watch. <laughs> I'm not one of those people, okay? We all have different gifts. That's not one of them. Uh, it makes me really helpful in a stressful situation, though, or in a crisis. Uh, but, and so honestly, in ministry, I was applauded for it for many years. Because just about no matter what, I could, I, could, I could, you know, walk through with a sober mind and help and serve. But I never did anything with the emotions I was feeling. And so uh, when I would feel emotions, they would just sort of rush upon me. So I'll, I'll tell you this story. About uh, 15 years ago, um, I talked my wife into buying the dog of my dreams. I asked her if I could spend our tax return on this dog. So I bought a, yeah, so a Cane Corso Mastiff. They're from Italy. They're kind of rare and not cheap. And so I bought this Mastiff. And the day I got the Mastiff, I knew, like, him and I, best friends. Like, I knew right then it, my childhood dream had come true and he had met all the expectations. The only goal of this dog was to not be any kind of inconvenience. The dog would, I mean, you could, you could, uh, you could walk in the room, he'd move, you could, you could, if, if somebody was loud and, and my kids were there, he'd stand between them. I mean, he was just this epic animal. And the older he got, I'm a firm believer, the older dogs are better than younger dogs. So the older they get, the more rhythms they get, the better they know the personality. And by the end of his, towards the end of his life, he was, he was just perfect. I mean, he was a cookie cutter. I couldn't have created out of a computer a better dog for our family and for me. Well, my wife calls me, and she says, uh, uh, something's, something's wrong with the dog, and he's not walking well. And I'll, I'll tell you the dog's name. This gives a little bit back into who I was 15 years ago. But I wanted to name him like a really like, like tough name, a bad name. And my wife wanted to name him something out of the Bible because I was a pastor, and I was like, totally cheesy. I'm not naming the dog like Jedediah or so. I'm not naming him that. I'm not doing that. And she's like, no, I mean, come on, you can't just name him, you know, like, you can't, you got to name him something respectful. And so I came back, and I named the dog Cain. 
out of the Bible because he's the first murderer. So I figured this, you know, it's kind of Bible tough, right? Bible tough. So she calls me and she says, hey, something's wrong with Cain. He's not walking well. And, and I knew that, that the one phobia Cain had, the one issue Cain had was he didn't like the vet. He'd only been maybe half a dozen times and every time it was just pure stress and I, I knew it was. And so the first thing I thought when I drove home was, if he's to the point I got to take him and put him down, it's going to be so sad because he's going to know. He's going to know. He's going to know we're going to the vet for this. And, and it, that's going to be the last thing he sees is me holding him down while the doctor gives him the shot. And, and I, was, um, I was getting emotional, but I didn't cry. So I got home and, and I worked on him and, and I'm pretty good with animals. And so uh, I rehabilitated him best I could. And I got another year out of him, a whole other year out of him. And, and he wasn't in pain, but he was slow. He got real slow. And, uh, and then uh, the night the Cubs won the World Series, so 2016, I was home alone because none of my friends invited me out. I, don't, I still don't know what that was about. <laughs> I, now that I think about it, like game seven of the World Series, it's the Cubs and no one called me. I was like, well, that's fine. At least I got Kane, right? So, <laughs> so Kane was asleep in the other room. He was asleep in the, in the other room. And, uh, and I was watching this game. And, and, and at the end, I was like everybody else, like, that was awesome, right? And, and it was just amazing, the, the, the whole entire thing. And, and I remember that just the, the week before, Kane and I went on our, on our last truck ride. He had loved riding in the trucks, but uh, you had to lift him. He could no longer hop up the last two years. This is a picture I took of him and me. Uh, it's the very last picture, actually, of him uh, with me. Uh, yeah, yeah, so he's riding around in this truck, and he's got his little gray. I think it looks distinguished, right? Um, so I, the, the Cubs win, and I'm, I'm running around with no friends because no one invited me out, and my wife's not home. And so I, I went to my friend. I went to Kane, and as I go into the other room, I look down, and Kane's asleep. He's perfect. I mean, perfectly asleep. And I'm like, Kane, the Cubs won the series, bro. And he was just still. And I was like, Kane, Kane. And then I bent down, and he was, I mean, he was warm. He was, he was comfortable. I mean, I had, I had just pet him 15 minutes before. But even in his death, this dog decided not to be an inconvenience. He's like, I got this. I don't want to burden you guys. And so uh, my dog died. And, and I, I didn't cry. I just sort of sat there. My wife got home. She cried. My girls got home. They cried. We wrote my son. He cried. The next day, I picked a pretty spot beneath, beneath these two big trees on our property and had a lot of flowers, and I started to dig this hole, and, and as I started digging this hole, uh, I just started, like every shovel of dirt came out, I filled it with tears. And I was, I honestly, by the time I was done, I was carrying my dog wrapped in a, in a pretty blanket and laid him down in this hole, and then I buried him with my hands, and I just sobbed, like it rushed upon me. I cried so much that the next morning I was swollen and I had to ask my wife if something was wrong with my eyes. <laughs> then I went to work because that's what you do. You don't take off work for a dog. You go to work. So I went to work, bright red. Alyssa, who still serves with me right now, had only worked there five months. I knew her pretty well. She was a youth student, but I didn't know her like this. And I'm working on my computer and she walks in and she's like, hey. And I said, hey. And she's like, <laughs> like, did you get in a fight? Like, you know, like, <laughs> and I, and she goes, what happened? And I said, 
And I looked at her and I said, my dog died. And she, this is true story, this, this girl I didn't know so well at the time came over and did the like head hold hug and then I just sobbed in my office, like shoulder sob, like embarrassing. I got an amen off of that, amen, amen. No, not amen, like embarrassing, like total weakness. The whole day I'm soaking wet because my dog died. And this is how weakness works and emotions work when you're not good at it. This one incident was the first time I cried in therapy. Of all the therapy I did, it's the first time that I actually cried in front of Byron, in front of my therapist, was the death of this dog. And it, it drove me to realize just how broken I am in this area. That I don't do emotions like this. And so when they have nowhere to go, they either turn into rage or frustration or pickiness or pettiness. Or if they, feel, if they go where they should, they turn into tears and weakness and exposure. Alyssa brings it up as a good thing. Remember that day? <laughs> so she said in the back, do you remember that day your dog died? And I was like, oh, do you remember that? I was holding, I was like, yeah, I remember it. She's like, yeah, I remember. That's when we became, like, uh, that's when our family, our office became, you know. And I'm like, no, that's not, no, I don't like that. I don't like that. But that's what emotion does, right? It, it, it draws people together. It brings people into a place where they can connect with you because they are seeing that you are also hurting because you are open, because you are available. This kind of story, I think, impacts a lot of people in a lot of different ways because this kind of story is often how emotion seeps out in people's lives. It's how, it's how weakness uh, is, is per perceived. It, it's, it's hidden and it's darkened and it's shaded. And so we just walk through trying to pretend like, like uh, none of it really matters. And yet in reality, what Alyssa did for me, what my wife did for me, what a lot of friends and family did for me, is really on a very tiny, tiny scale what Jesus wants to do for you. They want, he wants to recognize your hurting, and he wants to come and connect with you. And he wants to hold you if need be, and he wants you to know that his grace is sufficient for you. And that his power is made perfect in your weakness. Unlike somebody confront, uh, comforting someone else, what Jesus says is he will actually get into your life and use this to bring beautiful things to bear. I want to look a bit deeper at that idea, that phrase, the power of Christ is made perfect in weakness. I think the safest way to answer it is to let the four other words Paul uses to describe that weakness fill out what is in his mind. 2 Corinthians 12.10 is how that passage ends. It says, for the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. He gives you the four examples of what kinds of weaknesses Christ is working within. The first one is insults. This is demeaning and disrespectful comments shared to or about you. The next one is hardships. These are circumstances forced upon you. Reversals of fortune against your will. This is like the death of my dog. The next one is persecutions. These are when you experience wounds or abuses or acts of prejudice or exploitation from people because of your Christian faith or your Christian moral commitments. The last one is calamities. This is distresses or difficulties or trouble. The idea is one of pressure or crushing or being weighed down, circumstances that tend to overcome you with stress and tension. 
These are the four kinds of weaknesses that God says he works within. Insults, hardships, persecutions, calamities. And they're given to us through Paul who says, listen and be like me. This is where you can set most of your weaknesses that are going to be used by God. And when you avoid sitting in the emotion of those weaknesses, when you pretend that you're a man, when you pretend that you're, that you're strong enough, when you're really not, then you miss out on the goodness that other people can experience and most importantly, the goodness that God wants to use and the weakness you're not willing to express. Notice this. It's not weakness. Uh, notice weakness is not sin or imperfect behaviors. Like we might say, she has a weakness for lust or he has a weakness for overeating. Paul is not talking about bad choices that we make. That God will be honored in the bad choices. He's not saying the power of Christ is perfected in my bad choices. Got drunk last night, power of Christ, he'll make it okay. Or even, I will all the more gladly boast of my bad choices. Well, I didn't live so good for the first 15 years, but all the glory of Jesus, right? No, that's not what he's saying. That's not what he's saying. You need to stop, I need to stop, we need to stop pretending God's going to shore up our rotten attitudes and sinful desires when we claim his name over them. He's not talking about that. He's talking about insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. He's not talking about your desire to go out and numb your pain by using uh, substances that hide how you really feel. People ask all the time. I sit with a lot of people. They're like, what's really the big deal with drugs? What's really the big deal with these things out there that are, people will say, natural and normal? Here's the big deal. You go through a hard day. You fight with your wife. Instead of having to sit with yourself or sit with your wife or sit with another person to help, you go and numb. This is the issue. You go and numb. I know a mom right now that says she missed out on 12 years of raising her kids because she decided to numb with alcohol and pills all the difficult things that went on after her divorce. And now that she's beginning to sober up, she's beginning to see the things that happened. And you know what we're telling her? Let it hurt. Feel it. And now do you know what her kids are doing? Mom's back. Mom's back. How beautiful is that? How wonderful is that? But you don't get to say these 12 years, well, those are all to God's glory and credit. I mean, they were just weaknesses that I have. No, no, you get to say that because of God's glory and to his credit, he loved you through it anyways and brought you out the other side. But you don't get to use those things in order to bring God glory. God gets to use you to bring glory to himself and the way that he loves you. But some of you in here, you probably didn't come to hear this because you thought it was just going to be about fathers. You've got some behavioral tendencies that are keeping you from feeling your emotions. And I just want you to know, it's, they're like emotions are like savings accounts. Like you're going to get them all eventually. Okay, you don't put it in and not get it back. That's not how it works. So you can skip the difficulties right now, but it's going to eventually catch up with you. Or, or you're just going to upgrade your numbing mechanism. Until you upgrade and upgrade and upgrade and upgrade until you're not even a recognizable version of you in the first place. We have to be people who are willing to embrace weakness in ourselves. And then something else to, to some of us in here, we've got to get better at embracing weaknesses in others. Because when people come to us and they're like, I'm broken in this way, we're often the first ones that go, you just need to woman up. You just need to man up. You just need to go to work. You just need to show up. I don't know what my office would have done if I would have taken a day off because my dog died. I think now they'd be better because I'm doing this more. But I think at the time I had set a tone that said we're hard workers. I don't want to be those people that, 
that like, like everything in their life is based on grace and so they don't have to show up and put forth any effort at all. And I wanted Kessid to be a place that was full of hard workers. And then I built myself into a corner where if your dog dies, you can't take a day off. That's not right. I mean, it's, it's just, it's not, it's not right. We want to be a community of people that experience other people's weaknesses. But to do that, we have to experience our own. Jesus tells us that we as Christians don't use strength or face weakness the way the world does. When we face these things uh, like the insults or the, the need to uh, overcome hardships or the need to endure persecutions or the need to survive calamities, uh, Jesus says very clear in Matthew 5 that no matter if it's outside or inside, we never return evil for evil. I like what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4, 12 and 13. It says, when reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we try to conciliate. And then he added, we have become like the refuse of the world, the offscouring of all things. He basically says at the end, we get used to it. We get used to it. And I don't mean we get used to it like it never hurts. I mean we get used to, in that 1 Corinthians verse, we get used to the fact that God is going to continue to show his strength in our weakness. And so when the weakness happens, when the trials happens, when the endurance happens, when the hardships happens, when the persecutions happen, when the calamities happen, we get used to the fact that now I'm going to cry, now I'm going to hurt, and God's going to show up. And his strength is going to make not him strong, he's already strong. It's going to make me strong. His strength is going to make me strong. This is who we're called to be. This is how God has asked us to live our lives. It's time for us as God's people, and especially as men, to learn how to embrace the weaknesses we face. These everyday experiences, situations, circumstances, and wounds that are hard to bear and that we can't always remove because they aren't going away. They're not going to go away. So what are you going to do? What am I going to do? Never buy another dog again? Is that the answer to, so I'm never going to, you know that that, you might think, well, that's kind of absurd. I mean, dogs die, and if you like dogs, you should get another dog. But that's what I hear all the time around here from, not around here specifically, but in my life from people who have been through a terrible divorce, and so they're never going to get married again. People who had a church wound, and so they're never going to go to another church again. Church is terrible. Right? Or people who are struggling with certain things in their life, and so whatever they're struggling with now becomes some overarching theme of wounding in their story that they've never really grieved over, they've never been emotional over, and so they bottle it up and they get angry or they get defensive and then they claim it not for them. Maybe for you, not for me. What am I going to do, go buy a cat? I don't think so. I don't think so. 50% of the church right now, just like, I knew some of his theology was off. He's got poor cat theology. I knew that him and I couldn't agree on everything. What am I going to do, though? I, I, we have to live in this life. My wife's going to let me down. I'm going to let her down. I've let my kids down. They're going to let me down. I've seen wounds that this church has done to people, and I've been a part of wounds that have been done to this church. What are you going to do? Just stop living anywhere with anyone and just sit in a cave of your, your own your own brokenness and story, and then what? Claim that after a while, even you aren't safe for you? Like, that's where that goes. You know that, right? Eventually, you can't even trust you. You're like, I tried to trust myself once, and I let myself down. That just doesn't start there. That got there. 
that got there by stopping to trust parents or siblings or bosses or churches or whatever or, or God or the Bible. We take these things and we brand them unworthy because we're damaged by them. Instead of just grieving the damage, receiving the connection with our fellow human beings and most importantly with our creator and then being honest that weakness is a valuable thing because weakness through Christ makes me strong. That's what we should tell our kids when they cry. Stop telling our little boys to man up every time they do anything that's painful. Sometimes it hurts. And if you had the skills they have at eight or nine years old, you'd cry too. But those skills have been worn out of you. Maybe we should learn from them. Maybe that's why they're up here today. They smile when they want. They cry when they want. They see people. They give people chances. Sometimes they don't like something. They don't even know why. They're like, I don't like it. <laughs> you know how much stuff I've been trying that I don't like lately? Come on. It's important for us as a church, for us as fathers, to understand that God is the great foundation. He is the great strength giver. But if you think of Jesus Christ, the first thing you think of probably, when you think of him instantly, it's probably not him walking on water. It's probably not him healing a blind man. It's probably not him singing praise or teaching at the synagogue. It's him hanging naked and beaten, exposed and vulnerable, with tears running down his face on a cross. It's his weakness that you connect with. So why don't you think the world wants to turn off all your weakness? Because it's powerful, and it's rare, and it's special. We came across a song that we've been teaching the church uh, for a few weeks now. It's called Highlands. It's a Hillsong song. And I was singing the song in the back when Chris was first teaching it to us, and there's a, there's a, there's a phrase in the song that this is what it says. Referring to my God, my weakness. It says, Oh, how fast would you come running if just to shadow me through the night, trace my steps through all my failure, and walk me out the other side. We serve a God who wants to come running for you. And he recognizes there's some circumstances and stuff in your life that has beat you down. He is so, so willing to shore up that weakness in your life. He is willing to walk you through whatever awakening you need to have, whatever transformation you need to go through. Is the person you are today really the person you want to be 30 or 40 years from now? This isn't who I want to be. I want to keep transforming. I want to keep learning to love. I want to get better at crying. I want to get another dog. This place can be that place, but it's going to take people who are willing to be vulnerable. It's going to take men and fathers who are willing to be vulnerable. Like God is vulnerable for you. I printed this as a gift for you. I'd like the ushers to come forward and hand it out. Not for any other reason other than I wanted you to have the lyrics. Maybe this week, while you're pondering today's message, what the Holy Spirit's giving to you, maybe you'll read through these words. Maybe you'll journal around them. Maybe you'll download the song. I don't know. But my hope is that you experience your own weakness in order to experience the strength of Christ 
and the beauty of him who comes running. The one who would climb all the mountains just to hold you and hug you and tell you that you're his. Heavenly Father, Lord, we just sit in this place. We recognize, Lord, that everybody here has different experiences, different emotions when it comes to weakness and strength. May today, Lord, be an on-ramp to a new road, to a new place, to some new experiences, to some new relationships with children, with spouses, with friends, with co-workers, with other brothers. importantly with you we thank you God for the way you love us in our weakness in Jesus name
Deep but empty grave 